It's good to be with you this morning. Man, it's good to, just to, to be together. I missed you all last Sunday. Um, it, was, it was great, again, being a flourish and, and worshiping there, but um, yeah, part of our heart is here with you. And last Sunday was a little different um, in that there's lots of testimony time and just sharing about what God is, has done and is doing in our lives. And so um, I, I missed some of that. And so I hope, and from what I've heard, it was a really meaningful time uh, to, to share. And our testimonies are so incredibly powerful because they, they, they just bear witness to, to what God has done in their lives. And it, it may very well build the faith of somebody else who's going through something like that, going through a difficult times. So please share your stories, share your testimonies. It might be your big testimony of like, you know, coming to faith in Christ, but it might also be the testimony of what Jesus is doing in your life today, right? Because like, even like coming to Christ, right, is just the beginning. He's still at work in our lives. He's still moving and leading us and shaping us. Um, and so, is there an issue with the mic? Okay, there we go. So, um, this morning is the, the first Sunday of Lent. Now, Lent is not the stuff you pick out of the dryer. That's not what that is. Uh, Lent is a 40-day journey with Jesus toward the cross and the resurrection. So we're kind of like moving with Jesus on, on this 40-day journey toward the celebration of like the high point of our faith, which is Resur- Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. Now, how many of you have been in church traditions where, like, Lent is something you have celebrated, you're kind of familiar with it? A couple? Like, and maybe, maybe it's brand new. Um, it was new for me probably 10 years ago. The, the church has celebrated Lent, this season leading up to Easter, preparing our hearts for Easter for, I mean, for hundreds and hundreds of years. But it just wasn't something that I had experienced. But I found it very, very meaningful. Throughout the Bible, you find a lot of 40-day or even, like, 40-year experiences. Can you think of any of those? Like, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, fasting for 40 days. Elijah um, spent 40 days traveling through the wilderness on the way to Mount Horeb. The children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years. So there's like this symbol of 40 that's really important and like formative to, to our faith. And so this is what we're doing over these next couple of weeks. We're just going to be entering, trying to enter into this time of preparation that, that makes our hearts ready to celebrate the goodness and, and the glory of Easter and resurrection. But Lent is typically a time when we look at the darkness. You guys know that song, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, like the Simon and Garfunkel, right? Who's the guy who sings the new version of it that's like, do you know, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, I totally lost my train of thought here. There's, there's a version of Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. Do you know who I'm talking about? I can't think of the guy's name. It's fantastic. It's freaky, but pretty fantastic. Um, and so, like, looking at the darkness is not something that we get super excited about. Looking at the darkness of the world um, that Jesus came to overcome, looking at the darkness that might be in our hearts. But here's something that I've discovered over these last 10 years or so that I have been journeying with Jesus through this, series, uh, this season of Lent, year after year is that it is the contrast between the light and dark that makes the light more beautiful. If you, if you buy a brand new TV, like you go out and you, you buy a great TV, you'll see a contrast ratio on the TV. And if you, under, you understand this more than I do, but the contrast ratio is the difference between how dark the darks are and how light the light is. 
And the, the bigger the contrast ratio, the darker the darks are, the more vivid the picture is. And so it's not like you think, like the, the, the best picture is where the brights are brightest. Well, it's not actually true. If you have a TV where the darks are darker, you actually see, like, it becomes more vivid and more beautiful. And so I think there is, like, there's a, a lesson in that to say, like, as we just acknowledge the darkness of our world, as we acknowledge um, the problems and the pain, that we're able to see the light of Christ shining in, in a more vivid, more beautiful way. And, and so what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to be in this series called The Struggle is Real. And we're ending our series on Ephesians uh, in this, this text that Sarah read for us, Ephesians 6. And, and kind of our theme verse in this idea of the struggle is real is, um, is this, uh, Ephesians 6.12. You want to read this with me? Here we go. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So the struggle <clears throat> is real. And so <clears throat> this, sorry, something wrong with my throat here. But the, uh, the first, so the first um, kind of teaching we want to do on this is talking about this unseen conflict. Thank you, Joel. I was going to have to drink the orange water here, but I'll settle for this. The struggle is real, but the struggle we're in is an unseen conflict. The unseen conflict. This is how Paul, I mean, we've been, we've been journeying through the book of Ephesians for a long time, right? Since last fall, we're just kind of slowly kind of working our way through it. And, and it begins here with like Ephesians uh, 6 verse 10 says, finally. Maybe some of you are like, finally, we're getting to the end of this. I hope not. Um, but the way that he chooses to end this beautiful, like, masterpiece, spirit-inspired sermon he gives to the Ephesians and to us is by talking about the struggle, this unseen conflict, this cosmic conflict that is all around us, and, and that we can be aware of it or unaware of it. But the reality is still the same. We live in a world that is in this cosmic conflict. So the Apostle Paul ends this letter by saying, I want you to understand this. I want you to be aware of it. And I want you to understand um, that our struggle is with these cosmic forces in the world, not with other people. Now, for some of us, I understand that it might be a struggle to believe in this sort of unseen conflict. I mean, to just be real honest about it, like some of us might like, what are you talking about? Like, we don't have a framework to think about spiritual things like this. Um, I don't know if I've referenced Charles Taylor before, uh, but I will reference Charles Taylor a lot probably in the coming years. One of the most influential uh, voices, I think, to help us understand the culture we're a part of. Charles Taylor, brilliant sociologist, he wrote this book called A Secular Age. And he says, like, we live in a secular age. Did you know this about our world? Uh, it's the first time in human history where people have said, um, you can make your way through life without the presence of the divine, without God in your life. We live in a secular age, an increasingly secular age. And he says one of the hallmarks of this secular age is something he calls an imminent frame, right? An imminent frame. And um, James K. Um, 
Charles Taylor, he's like, he's so smart that it's hard for me to like read his book. But so I read people who write books about his books. He's one of those kinds of guys. And one of those guys, his name is James K. Smith, and he defines what this imminent frame is. And he says this, it's like the, the imminent frame is a constructed social space that frames our lives. So the frame around our life and our world is a natural rather than a supernatural order. So I live in this imminent frame, which means what? Well, it means... Um, if I can't see it, it's not real. If I can't touch it, it's not real. If I, can't t- if I can't experience it with my five senses, it's not real. If I can't measure it scientifically, it's not real. And so we could call this imminent frame like naturalism or materialism. Um, and we live in this secular age where God has in some ways been like exercised from our normal, ordinary lives. Does this sound familiar to anybody? This is, like, whether or not this is, of course, like, we're in a church, we're worshiping Jesus, singing songs to Jesus. I hope this isn't our framework. But it's important for you to understand that your neighbors almost certainly is their framework. Like, that, that there's no real room for, like, the spiritual, the, the, um, the intervening of things beyond what is rational, beyond what is, like, um, explainable. So, as Christians... This creates a little bit of a problem for us because, like, we believe in God, like the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in the the Trinity, our Father who is the creator, the Son, Jesus, who who came into this world and gave his life for us, the Holy Spirit, who is God's presence, who is now with us. And our faith as followers of Jesus is founded on the truth that God actually stepped into the world, that God came into the world in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, And our faith hangs on the truth that Jesus hung on the cross. And he died under the weight of the world's sin. But he was resurrected by God's power and is now reigning as a king of heaven and earth. That's our faith. That's what we confess as followers of Jesus. You can say amen to that, right? I mean, this is is our faith. And yet, and yet, Parker Palmer says that we can actually confess that to be true on one hand and we can live... Like, I can live my Monday through Saturday life as what he calls a functional atheist. Like, I can live as a functional atheist. Where it's like, I, I mean, I'll sing those songs on Sunday, but I'm not, like, expecting the presence of God anywhere in my life. Or, or aware that there is this cosmic conflict all around me. Um, you guys know the story of the priest, Zechariah? We, we typically talk about this story around Christmas time. So you can read it in your Bibles. We won't take time to turn there, but in Luke 1, verses 5 to 25, we we hear the story of this guy, Zechariah, and his wife, Elizabeth. And we're told a couple things about Zechariah. We're told he's he's an old man. He's a priest. He's righteous. Like, he loves the Lord. But he and Elizabeth have had a pretty hard life. They've wanted to have a child their whole life, and they haven't been able to. And now they're, like, well beyond childbearing years. And so Zechariah, um, he, he's a priest, and so he, he gets chosen by lot, by kind of this, they, they allow God to choose through this kind of seemingly random circumstance. And he is chosen by lot, probably for the first time in his life, to have the honor of going into the temple and to burn incense in the temple at the altar of incense. I mean, this is like the honor of his lifetime. So he's a priest, and a Jewish priest would know that the temple is the place where, where heaven and earth overlapped. 
right? This is the place where God's presence dwelled in the Holy of Holies. This was their, their worldview, their mindset. Um, and so Zechariah, he, he gets all his stuff ready. He goes into the temple and he does his, his job and he's there at the altar of incense and he's burning the incense. And all of a sudden, who shows up? Do you know the story? An angel, and you know who, who it was? Which angel? Gabriel. All of a sudden, Gabriel's in the house. Boom. Right here beside him. And you know what Zechariah does? The priest, this old man has been walking with the Lord his whole life, who's in the temple of the living God, and the angel shows up. Zechariah's like, oh, like, hey, I've been expecting you. Of course there's an angel here. Do you know the story? What does Zechariah do? He freaks out. Like, he absolutely freaks out. I mean, this is what he says. The text says he was startled and gripped with fear. Does that make sense? All of a sudden, here's an angel, and he's startled and gripped with fear. Now, did Zechariah believe in angels? Yes. Like, did he he believe in miracles? Yes. And and the angel comes to him and tells him, like, God has a miracle in store for you, Zechariah. Like, Elizabeth, your wife, she's going to have a son, and and God's anointing is going to be on him, and he's going to have a special place to go before Jesus, the Messiah. And and Zechariah, like, oh, my goodness, like, this is amazing. And but he's gripped with fear, and he, he's trembling with fear, and then he doubts Zachari- or he doubts Gabriel's word. And he's like, so, okay, angel, that's all cool, but how do I know what you're telling me is true? If Gabriel shows up, like just, just a heads up, like if he shows up, not a good idea to like second guess him, right? Just go with what he says. So, so uh, Zechariah, he, he loses the ability to speak until his son John is born. So here's the point, right? Zechariah, he believed in miracles. Yes? Believed in angels. Yes. But did he believe that there's a possibility that an angel could meet him and speak with him and give him a miracle on that day? No. He's freaked out. So what would you do? Like, we're singing songs to Jesus. And what would you do if there was an angel that just like, boom, sitting beside you in the room this morning? Do you believe in angels? Do you believe in the presence of God and the Holy Spirit and living Jesus? But would it freak you out a little bit if there was an angel in this space, right? So let's admit that there's at least some level of like, okay, we believe it, we confess it, we know it to be true. It's just a little bit outside of our framework. Are you with me? So how do we change our framework? We've all been impacted by this modern, secular, imminent frame culture. Every single one of us has been impacted by it. So the idea of spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, like we can, we can like, okay, yeah, 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 I get it, I know it, I believe it, but I struggle to understand how my life fits into that. Does that make sense? Are you, are you with me? So I think one of the things that, um, that is important for us to understand is like the biblical worldview is not the, the modern secular worldview. Right, I mean, here's a couple of, uh, next slide, a couple of um, scriptures. I just want us to understand that the biblical worldview gives us this idea of a cosmic conflict, that Jesus came into this world as an act of, of battle, as an act of warfare, as this part of the struggle against these unseen powers. So I'm just going to go, we're going to go real fast through this, but I want our minds to just be soaked in this. 
So in G- Jesus, this is just a couple chapters in the, first, in the Gospel of Mark. Wednesday mornings, we have a Bible study here. And anybody's invited to this, 10 o'clock Wednesday mornings. And we're going through the Gospel of Mark. And so I just pulled out a couple of these places where Jesus is interacting with the spiritual forces of evil. So Mark 1.13 um, he's in the, the wilderness, and the evil one, Satan, tempts him there in the wilderness. Mark 1.27, um, the, the people are amazed because Jesus, he cleanses unclean spirits, demons out of people. Um, and, and the people are amazed, and they say he even tells the unclean spirits what to do, and they listen to him. They do it. Mark 1.34, he didn't allow the demons to speak because they knew who he was. They knew him. Mark 3.11 and 12, whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down in front of him, and they yelled out, you are the son of God. And he gave them strict orders not to reveal his identity. Mark 3, verses 22 to 27, um, Jesus is being confronted, and, and they're telling him, like, well, you have a demon, and like, you're functioning under the power of, of the evil one. And, and Jesus is like, that makes no sense. Um, how can Satan cast out Satan? But remember, no one can get into the strong man's house and steal his property unless he first ties up the strong man, and then they can plunder the house. Jesus is like, the reason I came is to tie up the strong man, is to, is to tie up the evil one, who's been like, you know, keeping people in bondage. And I'm going to tie up the evil one, and then you, my followers, you're going to go plunder the house. Like, Jesus is like, there is this spiritual struggle happening in the world. There's a, an encounter in Mark 5 where Jesus encounters this Gentile man who's, who's this, like, barely even human anymore. He's so overcome by evil. And Jesus says, what's your name? And, and like, the evil spirits inside of him say, we are legion um, because we are many, for we are many. And then finally, like John 10.10, 10, Jesus, he sums up like this, this battle, this struggle that he is a part of, that he came in this world to win. And he says this. You can sum it up this way. This is a great verse to commit to memory. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest, abundant life. So this is just Jesus. He's like, it's very clear. If you read the Gospels, without this imminent frame, it's like, all right. Like, there's stuff we're not seeing and we're not open to. And and we have to have our minds um, sort of shifted about it. Just a couple more in the New Testament. The Apostle Peter, he writes this in Acts 10. I want you to see this from different apostles. So in uh, Acts 10, the Apostle Peter says this. You know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And this is what Jesus did. He's just doing good, healing people who were like under the power of the oppression of the evil one. That's how he sums up his ministry. Uh, the Apostle James in James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's this act of resisting the evil one to make him flee from us. The Apostle John in 1 John 3, 8 says this, The reason the Son of God appeared was to what? Destroy the devil's works. Why did Jesus come? I mean, you, you might have a lot of different answers, and there are different ways of talking about it, but here's what John says. You know why Jesus came? He came to destroy the devil's works. It's good news. Um, and then lastly, here the Apostle Paul, right? Back to Ephesians 6. Finally, brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against what? Against the devil's schemes. So Greg Boyd says it this way. There are other players on the field. Like, and we, 
we do well to have a biblical worldview to understand that there are other players on the field. Like when you're playing soccer, um, you know, if you, th- if you have a whole strategy that's just like your 11 players going and, you know, doing your thing, and you don't understand that there are 11 other players on the field who really want to keep you from scoring a goal, like you're going to have a half-baked battle plan. Like so for us to understand there are these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that, that we are called to be aware of and to be aware of their scheme. So over the next couple of weeks, here's what we're going to do. Uh, like next week, we're going to look at temptation specifically. Like what, how does the evil one like um, throw his lures, his bait at us? And how might that, like the armor of God that um, Christina talked about, how might they help us to resist the lures that the evil one gives us so he can't get his hooks in us and drag us away. So um, the next week we're going to look at um, the devil's ABCs. You know the devil speaks a language, and his language is accusation, blame, and condemnation. And Jesus, he gives us a new language. He helps us recognize that, accusation, blame, condemnation, and lies. And he helps to give us a new language. Um, a, a spirit-filled language that we speak to each other, that lifts each other up. Uh, the third week, we're going to talk about conflict, um, that the evil one loves to use conflict, natural conflict in our relationships with each other to bring wounds and divisions. Anybody ever been hurt by conflict? You don't have to raise your hand. All right. I mean, bring conflict, and then the evil one gets in there, and he tears people apart. And Jesus wants to heal conflict with forgiveness and reconciliation. And then on Palm Sunday, we're going to talk about the angry crowd, like the evil one is one of the strategies of the evil one is he just like, whew, gets, we get caught up in an angry crowd. Anybody ever been a part of a crowd that they did something that they would never have done on their own? Or you get caught up in a group of people and the group just kind of takes over and you're a part of the group and all of a sudden, whew, you just went 10 steps further than you ever would have gone on your own. So how do we recognize the angry crowds? How do we come out of the angry crowds? And how do we step into the beloved community that Jesus is forming himself? And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about the victory of Jesus, the ultimate victory of Jesus over the powers of darkness. So this, this first Sunday is just, I just want to frame up. I want us to, to not, like, to be aware of this imminent frame of secular culture, and I want us to have a, a biblical worldview, a framework that, that God is active, he is present in our world, we can expect him to show up, and that there are these other players on the field that, that very much want to keep us, want to steal, kill, and destroy, want to keep us from life with God. And if, if you struggle with this, like if you struggle to say like, man, I, I don't know about this, I just would ask you a question to say like, we have to decide, will we make the Bible... And the biblical worldview submit to our modern secular worldview. And like, will we say, you know what? No, no, no. Like, we understand better than they did. And better than Jesus did and better than the apostles did. And we will sort of take authority over the scriptures and the biblical worldview. And I would submit to you that is a very dangerous place to be. Like, it's an arrogant place to be and a very dangerous place to be. This says, you know, our modern secular worldview, this is actually superior to the Bible. And so, so don't, don't, like, allow yourself to do that, but say, okay, I, I need to be in a posture of learning. I need to be in a posture of openness to say, this is not the way that I have, the way I think about my life. I tend to, I tend to think about my life as kind of a, a functional, uh, functional atheist. Here's your yellow. There it is. Um, and so to let the Spirit move in us to, to see things as they really are. So, I want to give a couple of real practical things of how can we, just like today, be, um, understand this spiritual conflict and take steps toward it. 
So the first one is like, just look, look at, I'm going to give a couple of these pretty quickly here. So the Apostle Paul says three times in this about be strong. Be strong, stand firm, stand your ground. So we're in this conflict. You can't help it. You're just, you're just caught up in it. So what do you do? You be strong and you stand firm and you stand your ground. Now, um, does this like scare anybody? Like talking about spiritual forces of evil. Is there a little bit of fear that's like, I don't like know about that stuff. There's a little bit of fear. Um, I, I hope that the fear, Jesus never raises his voice to cleanse evil spirits out of people. Do you know that? Like it's always the evil spirits who scream. Jesus just like in very like still voice, he he, he takes authority over them, and they, they cry out. Like, so there's nothing to be afraid of with the powers of darkness. Like, Jesus has overcome them. Um, so the Apostle Paul's like, okay, so be strong. Be, be strong in the Lord. Do you know the story of Joshua from the Old Testament? So Joshua is, um, he, they're standing on the edge of the Jordan River, and they're going to cross the Jordan River to go into the promised land. This land, this territory that God has promised to them, you are going to, you are going to take over this place. It, it belongs to you. And they're standing there, and Joshua's a little freaked out, and the people are a little freaked out, and God speaks to him this word of courage. He says, be strong. Be strong. Be very courageous. This is exactly what Paul is saying here to us. Like, be strong. He's, it's like calling back to the story of Joshua. Because as people of God, as people, followers of Jesus, we are called in to, like, take over the territory that the evil one, the thief who came to steal, kill, and destroy, has, like, has like kept people in bondage. And Jesus is now saying, I want you to be strong and courageous and strong in the power of, of God's strength to move into the territory, to move into a broken world, a world of darkness, and to bring the light of Christ. The church was never meant to be defensive. The church was never meant to sit back on our heels and to say, oh man, like I'm, I'm afraid of the world. I'm afraid of the darkness. I'm afraid of the powers of evil in the world. Like the church was always meant to be this offensive strategy to push back the powers of darkness. How do we do that? We be strong, but not in our own power. We are strong, he says, in the Lord. Next slide. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in him. It is not our strength. No matter how strong you are, you are not strong enough. Right? This isn't something we're going to do, but like toughen it out. But it is strength in his power and in his might. Um, in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, in Matthew 16, 18, um, there's a story where Jesus takes his disciples to a place they never would have gone. A place like good Jewish boys like, they would never go. And Jesus probably told them, hey, don't tell your moms. He, he probably didn't say that, but uh, you can imagine. And he takes them to this place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, I've been to Caesarea Philippi uh, a couple of years ago, had, had a chance to travel to, um, to Israel. And this is a, this is a picture uh, in Caesarea Philippi. And it was known in the first century in Jesus' day as the gates of Hades or the gates of hell. And it was dedicated at the time of Jesus to the worship of this god, Pan. And um, they believed that this was the actual place where the, the, the powers of evil from the underworld like leached into the world, came into the world. Right here. This is the very gates of Hades, gates of hell. So Matthew 19, uh, Jesus calls his disciples and he takes them, or Matthew 16, excuse me, and he takes them where? To Caesarea Philippi. To the gates of hell. Now, can you imagine these like twelve Jewish boys, like walking up to this like pagan, evil place, and like can you imagine fear in them? Anybody, anybody be a little afraid? 
right? This place that like, I, I, geez, I, I don't know if you know what you're doing. I don't know if this is where we're supposed to be. Whew. And Jesus, he asked him a question at this place. He, they're standing like somewhere right here. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter gives his answer. He's like, you're, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the savior of the world. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, yeah, like you're right. Like God revealed this to you. And on this rock, I will build my church. And then what does Jesus say? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what is Jesus saying? He takes them to this place, like the, the place where like in their worldview, it's like this is the most evil place in the world, the most, the most broken place in the world. This is, this is like the source of evil. And Jesus is like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build my church. People who are called by my name, filled by my spirit, have faith in me and in my strength, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. Now, my whole life, I read this scripture as like, okay, like the evil one's going to come and going to attack us and we're going to be able to withstand because the gates of hell aren't going to be able to prevail against us. I read this scripture for most of my life defensively, right? Let me ask you this. Are gates an offensive strategy or a defensive strategy? Have you ever seen an army attacking someone with their city gates? Right, you, you watch an old, old medieval movie and they're like, they rip the gates off and, you know, start a brave heart or something like that. Please say no, right? What are gates? Gates are meant to keep people out. So, so whose gates will not prevail? The gates of hell, right? Like what Jesus is saying is I'm going to unleash my church. I'm going to unleash the people who are filled with my spirit and my presence and my love and in my power, and they're going to go into the dark places of the world, and the gates of hell won't be able to withstand it. The church was never meant to be a defensive strategy, just like sitting back on our heels, kind of afraid of the world, but to move into the world with confidence, with strength, with courage, not in our own might, not in our own power, but in the Lord because he's the victorious one and he is with us. Now, if we were a Pentecostal church, somebody might say amen to that. Thank you. Help a brother out. So, like, the... To, to recognize if there's fear in our heart, these things, um, to confess that to Jesus, like to confess it to him because he, he is the one who wants to unleash us into the world, in his church, filled with his spirit, um, to push back the powers of darkness so that the very gates of hell will not be able to withstand it. Um, let's jump to slide 23, Anthony. Like, I, I just want you to understand your life matters in this. And this is like, I'm framing this like big cosmic conflict, right? But your life matters in this. Like, don't underestimate your role in this. As a follower of Jesus, you have a part to play in this strategy that Jesus is unleashing his church into the world to push back the powers of darkness. You have meaningful work to do in this. Every part of your life matters in this. God wants to use you in your place with your gifts and your life and your voice in his work of pushing back powers of darkness in the world. And it's not going to happen by accident. Right? You read this whole text from Ephesians 6, and it's like if you are just going through life, just sort of going with the flow of life, just sort of like in neutral coasting or just kind of adrift going with the current, man, it's going to take you a place you don't want to go. I can promise you that. 
But like the, the, the wake-up call for us here in Ephesians is like this, this is intentional living. It is we are giving our attention to Jesus and we're being formed in him and we're putting on his armor. We're being strong in his might. And, and so this isn't going to happen by accident. Um, it is going to happen with us choosing to follow Jesus. So your life matters. Secondly, embrace your weakness because in the kingdom of God and in this battle against light and darkness, weak is the new strong. Like, God isn't afraid of your weakness, but he actually wants to use your weakness to do his work. Because sometimes it's the places where we feel strongest that we're most tempted to do it on our own power. There's this beautiful verse in 2 Corinthians. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. And I love the way um, a theologian, Marva Dawn, um, and every time I say her name, I always hear that song in my head, Delta Dawn. Do you know that song? I don't know. Marva Dawn. Um, sorry, that was a total sidetrack. So this is the way Marva Dawn translates this passage. She says, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking. God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for your power is brought to its end in weakness. Has anybody ever felt that? Like their weakness and all of a sudden like my power, like my strength comes to an end when I embrace my weakness. And this is what God says to us. Your power is brought to an end in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. And so what is our response? Paul's response is to say, so I say all the more gladly then I will boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ, not mine, may dwell. And the word there is tabernacle, rest upon me for when I am weak, then am I strong. In this, in this battle, it is not like tough it out. It is not like, you know, sort of get strong and, and, and get your life together. It is embrace our weakness and surrender ourselves to Jesus and to his power and to his might and to his victory. And the more we embrace our weakness and we surrender ourselves to him, the more the Lord can use our weakness. He pours his grace into our weakness and we can, uh, he, he can use us as tools in his hands. As followers of Jesus, we are not called to be independent or to celebrate independence. We are, to, we are called to live in dependence on him. Like this is, this is a radically different way than our culture thinks because everything in our culture is like it's, it's independence, it's my life, it's my, you know, my power and I'm gonna lift myself up by my own bootstraps, that whole thing. And as followers of Jesus, we reject that. And we say, my whole life is lived in dependence on him. I cannot be who God called me to be without his spirit filling my life and surrendering to him. Weak is the new strong. God, it is your word. It is your presence. It is your will and your way. And if you are surrendered to God in that way, I mean, there, there's no end to what he can do with you. Your life matters. Weak is the new strong. Remember who you are. Like the whole book of Ephesians, right, is like you are a child of God. You belong to him. You are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Do you know who you are? Do you know who your identity is? Um, do you know that you have been authorized by Christ to be an ambassador of his kingdom? Like what would happen? Like what would happen if you woke up tomorrow and you said, you know, like, do you know who I am? I am an ambassador of the kingdom of God. I'm a carrier of the good news of Jesus. The living Christ lives inside of me. And wherever I walk, like I walk into a space, I walk into a community, I walk into my school, I walk into my job, my home, like I trust that Jesus is there with me. And you are an ambassador of the kingdom of God in those places. Like church, like look around at this room. Like where all are we going to go over the next week? 
And all the people we're going to come in contact with and the environments we're going to be in, what if every single one of us did that? That we, we understood. We, we don't live in this imminent frame. We live in the idea and the trust that God is with us. And he has authorized us to be his ambassadors in the world. And sometimes that's like it's hard to believe. I was a, I was a chaplain for... Um, for like a, a season at a, a big trauma center in, we, in Wichita, Kansas. And I was like, I was 22 years old. I was, in, uh, I was in seminary. And I was like, I went from being a plumber like three months ago, or I guess it would be like seven, eight months ago, something like that. And all of a sudden, I go to be a chaplain at this major hospital in Wichita, Kansas. And we had like one day of orientation, like, hey, here's a way around the hospital. And then here's a badge that will unlock most doors in the hospital. And then here's a blue blazer. Dennis, Dennis knows what this is like. I still get twitches from the blue blazer. Um, whew, it, was, it was a stressful time. But they put this blue blazer on you that said pastoral care. And then you put the badge on, and here you are. Like, go be with people. I don't know what to do. Like, who in the world am I? Like to walk into a room with somebody who's suffering and, and like maybe at the end of their life or, or in like a, an unbelievable trauma, gunshot wound or a car accident, and then I'm called to like be with this family and I don't have a sweet clue what I'm doing because you know who I am? I'm just like a 22, 23-year-old kid who was a plumber seven months ago. I don't belong here. Can you feel that? You ever feel that way? Like, it's like, sometimes we get the external authority. It's like, I was authorized, but I didn't have the internal authority. It wasn't in here. It didn't sink in to here. And it took a long time for that to happen. And so, like, I think a lot of us, like, we have the external authority. Jesus says, like, I authorized you. You're my disciples. Like, go. Do you think the disciples, when he sent them out on that day, and he's like, all right, like, whew, here we go. Uh, I'm sending you out. You're sending out, like, you know, two by two, and you're going to go, and you're going to preach the gospel, pr proclaim the good news, heal the sick, raise the dead, like, all those things. And you think, he's like, he puts the blazer on them, and they're like, I don't think I'm ready for this. Right? I mean, this is, remember who you are. Remember, like, he's authorized you. Like, live into, it's his power, it's his authority. Recognize the real enemy. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is never against flesh and blood. If, if, if the person who you have beef with, if you're confusing them for the real enemy, then you're missing the point. Because we're never fighting each other. Like, flesh and blood is never the enemy. And Jesus shows us this. Like, he, yeah, he opposed the religious leaders, and he opposed the political leaders, and he didn't back down from those things, but he always understood the real enemy were the forces behind it. That the, the people who are in front of us are not people we're supposed to be fighting. They're people we're supposed to be fighting for. Can you accept that? Like, what if, what if that was our worldview? The flesh and blood is not the enemy. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, um, 3 and 4 say this, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does, and the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. If you have weapons that make you feel comfortable that are designed for flesh and blood, then you're fighting the wrong battle. I'll say that again. Like, if, if you have weapons that, like, that you get comfort from, and those weapons are designed to destroy flesh and blood, then you're fighting the wrong enemy, right? The enemy is the powers, the principalities, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So what are the weapons we fight with in this conflict? There are two that he gives us in this text, and they're the scripture, the word of God, and prayer. 
Right? These are the weapons. Like These are the offensive weapons that, that God has given us to fight with. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the Word of God like, is it's referred to as two things. The Word of God is the Scriptures, like God's Word to us. But ultimately, the Word of God is Jesus. Right? Jesus is the living Word of God. So it is the Word of God in text that leads us to the Word of God in person. And so as we meditate on Scripture, as we make Scripture a part of us, as we hide God's Word in our hearts, and as we learn to abide with Jesus, the true and living Word of God, like this is the offensive weapon that God has given us. This is the sword of the Spirit that he calls us to engage in this spiritual battle with. And then the second one is prayer. Like he ends this whole passage by talking about prayer. Like pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray for me also that whenever I speak, the words may be given to me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, I pray and pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Scripture and prayer. Do you you see these as like the tools in your hand to push back powers of darkness? Scripture and prayer. Meditating on God's word. Letting it sink into you. Praying that God would open your heart to the scriptures, that it wouldn't just be a, a, a religious exercise of like, well, I need, to, I need to have my quiet time or I need to read my verse today. But that you would, you would pray to say like, Lord, would you open my heart today because I believe you are here with me and I believe your word is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces and divides even like soul, spirit, joints, marrow, discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. Like, Lord, I believe that your word it, it is, is going to be useful in my life for teaching and instruction and, and, and rebuke and training and righteousness so that I can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Like to read scripture with the expectation that God wants to meet you in it. To pray that your heart would be open, that you would encounter him, that your heart would be warmed and set on fire and that he would equip you, that he would equip you to face whatever battles, whatever struggles that you are facing. To, to to soak yourself in God's word in the scriptures that leads you to the presence of Jesus, to know that Jesus is with you. Like, brothers and sisters, like, God has such important things for us to do. Like, we're not, we're not just here, like, playing church, right? Like, God has called LifeBridge, and I, I believe he's called every other church to this too. Like, he's called LifeBridge to be a hospital of his healing grace, a place of salvation, a place of healing and deliverance and restoration. And, and that puts us on the offensive, right? That he's called us to push back the powers of darkness in his strength, in his power, by his spirit, not by our own, not by our own power. And I can promise you that the evil one does not like that. And the evil one doesn't like that. So, so part of my story over the last three weeks, I... I sleep like a baby most of the time. Uh, but over the last three weeks, I've woken up almost every single night with a nightmare. And I've never had this before in my life. Like just, um, and, and I'm, I'm kind of wired that if I wake up in the middle of the night for any reason, I'm awake like the rest of the night. So I've been waking up at like 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 4.30 for like three weeks. And so just like, I'm like, God, what is going on? And... Um, and I'm not a person who, like, you know, like, sees forces of evil behind everything. I think sometimes you just have bad dreams. Sometimes I eat a plate of nachos at 10 o'clock, and it didn't go so good for me. Um, like, but it's, like, three weeks in a row. Like, what, what's going on? And as I'm praying about this, like, get the feeling that, like, okay, there's, like, 
there's like spiritual stuff going on. There's like conflict, and we're a part of it. Like we're on the front lines of it as a church, and we're like we're behind enemy lines, and we're pushing back powers of darkness. And the evil, the evil one doesn't like that. And so, like uh, at Flourish, there was a there was a talk about rest. One of uh, one of the leaders just gave a talk about rest, and then opened up a ministry time to to come forward. And, um, and to be prayed for. And so I just feel very prompted to go forward and to have someone lay hands and pray for me that, like, God would take the nightmares away. Um, and went forward. And I'll be honest, I didn't, like, feel anything. Um, I didn't feel anything, like, happen in the moment. Like, oof, you know, no electricity or whatever. But I haven't had a nightmare since. I'm, yeah, yay God, right? Yay God. And so, like, I... I I just think we have to be alert and aware that, that God has such important things for us. He has such a high calling for us as a, as a church, as a people of faith. And to, to walk in humility and awareness and surrender to God's power. I, I had a mentor who would ask me and my co, I was a co-lead pastor with, with another, uh, one of my best friends, his name was Jim. And... Um, and we were co-lead pastors for about two and a half years, and we had a mentor who we would meet with once a month, and he would often say, if the evil one wanted to cause the most destruction in your lives and in the church right now, what would he do? That's, a, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Like, talk about standing firm against the schemes of the evil one. If the evil one wanted to cause, the, steal, kill, and destroy, if he wanted to cause the most destruction in your lives and in the church right now, what would we do? And we almost always said he would cause a division between us. Okay, so how do we make sure that doesn't happen? How do we stay, how do we stay close? And when we, of course, there are going to be conflicts. Like we're people. Conflicts happen. But how do we move toward each other in conflicts with, with forgiveness, with honesty, with reconciliation? So if the evil one wanted to cause the most pain, the most damage, the most destruction in your life today, what would he do? Where, where would he attack you? What about in your family? What, what would he do? to cause the most pain in your family or in your school or in your workplace or in your community, your neighborhood? What about in the church, like here at LifeBridge? Like what would the evil one do if he wanted to just like throw a wrench in what God was doing? So how do you and I, brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord together? Together. To be aware, to be alert, to put on the armor of God, and to step in, not afraid, not fearful, but to step in um, to the work that God has for us together. I, as, look, worship team is going to come up. Would you stand as we pray? Lord Jesus, um, we, we just proclaim that you are the king of heaven and earth. That Jesus, you are the one who came into this world, who pushed back the powers of darkness at every turn, who resisted with love, and you selflessly gave yourself for us to forgive us, to redeem us, to heal us, to give us a new life and a new calling and a new family and a new destiny. 
God, you, you laid down your very life for us. You on the cross, Jesus, you took all the venom of the evil one. You took all the powers of darkness onto yourself and into yourself. And you took them into the grave. And on that resurrection Sunday morning, you walked out of the grave as the victorious king of heaven and earth. And so, Lord Jesus, we confess this and we believe it. And we put our trust in you, God, that you have now called us. We are people who have put our faith in you. And so, Lord Jesus, fill us with your presence. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with the sense of our identity and the calling you've put on our lives. Help us, like, wake us up if we've been going through life just coasting, just kind of, like, going with the flow and not aware that there is this cosmic conflict around us and there is this, um, this struggle, Lord, for the very hearts, for the very souls, for the very lives of people. So, Lord Jesus... Would you give us courage in you? Would you give us, like, a strength in you? Strengthen us for the work that you have for us to do. God, we know that your hand is on, is on LifeBridge. But not just LifeBridge, other churches in our community. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are gathering in different buildings, in different spaces, in different languages, in different types of buildings. We just pray a blessing on your church. God, unleash your church by the power of your Holy Spirit. Not by might, nor by power, but by your Spirit is what you call us to. God, I pray that any of us who feel weak, who feel inferior, who have believed lies about ourselves, who is like are tempted to take that, that blue blazer off because it doesn't, it, we don't feel like it's true to who we are, God, that you would remind us, even now, like as we sing these songs, that you would speak to our hearts, our identity, that you, you belong to me, that you are my child, that I love you, that I, I've called you, you are my ambassador, and I'm sending you into the world. God, do your work in us, we pray. And we pray it in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said.